You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to week three of Skip the Small Talk, a series on prayer. And before we jump in today uh, to the message, uh, there's something happening later today. Does anyone know what it is? That's right, we're having communion at the end of our gathering, that's right. Or did some people say something else? Was there, it's Super Bowl Sunday, apparently. Now, so I thought, I wanted to take a little bit of a survey for everyone in the room here. I wonder how many people, now there's probably many people online or in the room, you don't even care, so indulge me in this moment. How many people want the New England Patriots to win another Super Bowl? Put up your hands if you would. So there's... There's some emotion. If you're online, you might not have heard that, but I don't know how you couldn't have. Uh, thank you, Pat. Uh, okay, what, how many, I wonder how many people, you're an LA Rams fan, but, but you want them to win tonight. Okay, keep your hand up. If you, if you want the Rams to win, put your hands up. Put, put it up. You want the Rams to win. Now, how many of you have been lifelong Rams fans? Yeah, no, this week, right? This week, anyone but the Patriots fans, right? That's, that's what it is. Listen, you may not even care about this football game that's going to be happening. But, I, but, yeah, but I'll tell you this. <laughs> there is a lively crowd today, which I'm loving. Uh, you probably don't care, but these two guys sure do. So, big game on Sunday, eh? Yeah, sure is. And I know who's going to win. Yeah, so do I. Oh, you mean you're a Patriots fan too, brother? No way. Are you kidding? Rams, baby. I already prayed to God that the Rams would win. And do you know how many times the word Rams is mentioned in the Bible? I don't know, like zero. <clears throat> 77. What? <laughs> please, God, let your team, no, the no, no, Patriots, God, God, win. Please, the Rams, let Brady eat some humble pie. No way. Time out. Flag on the play. Three strikes, you're out. Batter to the plate. You know. Okay, our angel might have been a little confused between baseball and football, but somebody had to be the adult in the room in that moment. Listen, I don't know what you ask God for. What do you ask God for? Because he certainly does encourage us to ask him. Ask him for help, ask him for healing, ask him for things. But if you've been reduced to asking God for game-winning... I I don't know if it's come that low, but... Here's the truth about asking God. Whatever you ask God for reveals a lot about your relationship with him. In turn, what you don't ask God for also reveals a bit of your relationship with him. The fact is, we've learned even in week one, as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, uh, that he encouraged us to ask him. Look look at what he says here. In the New King James Version, he said, Give us this day, Jesus taught his disciples to pray this, our daily bread. In other words, what we need for each day. The message version says, keep us alive with three square meals. And I love how Max Licato kind of simplifies it and boils it down in that book, Before Amen, that we base this series on, when he just said, pray this, I need your help. I need your help. But have you ever been at a point, maybe, where you've stopped asking? And we do it for a number of reasons, but I wonder how many of us have stopped asking God for help or for healing or for transformation or change because we kind of feel like it's too late. 
I, I don't know, over 25 years of pastoring, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that phrase. A married couple. And it's just gone on for so long, it just feels like it's, pastors, it's too late. It's too late. Or, or I, I've seen siblings warring with each other, unable to reconcile, and then one of their parents passes away, and it's just like, now they don't have to have a reason to be in the same room, and they refuse to reconcile because, you know what, it's just too late, too much water under the bridge. Or I've talked to a man I remember not too long ago who had an addiction, and it was controlling his life. He was a young man, but he felt like it was too late too late. I think of parents and a teenager that comes home, goes up to his room, locks his door, plays video games through the early hours of the morning. The parents have tried to interact with him, but he's blocked them in all these social media channels. And sometimes parents just feel like I, they don't want it to be that way, but it just feels like it's too late. We should have nipped this earlier. It's become much larger. Now it's just too late. Her husband comes home and he flips open his computer. He's been at work. He barely acknowledges his wife. His wife barely acknowledges him. She puts the children to bed and it crosses his mind in that moment. Maybe I should help. Or maybe I should say to my wife, let's pray over the children tonight. But you know, the marriage, it's too cold. The children are too old. It just feels too late. The friendship is too angry. The debt is too overwhelming. The addiction is too powerful. The reputation too damaged. It's just too late. And many of us believe that lie. Every time we feel the, maybe the inclination towards changing some things or doing things dif differently, it's like the enemy, the evil one, the adversary of all that is good and right whispers in our ears in those moments, hey friend, it's too late. It's too late. But what if I said to you this morning, it's not too late. At the end of this gathering, our elders and our prayer team and pastors are going to be available. And if you're online, we'll have pastors available where you can ask God for help. Ask God for change. Ask God for healing. Ask God for transformation. If you've got a Bible, turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5 is an account of Jesus interacting with a man who probably felt a lot. If you feel like it's too late in your life, for change, too late to make amends, too late to change the trajectory of your life or your circumstances, this man probably knew how you felt. For 38 years, his circumstances had not changed. That's 14,000 days where nothing seemed to change. And then Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 1 says this. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. Now, let me give you context. Let's just press pause for a minute. If you read along in John chapter 5, depending on how old your version of the Bible is, you'll notice this, that chapter 5 goes verse 1, 2, 3, and then 5. It skips verse 4. 
And there's a reason for it. If you've got an older edition of the Bible, it might have it in there. Because verse 4 was not in the original manuscripts. It wasn't in there. It was added by a scribe later on trying to describe what the Pool of Bethesda was like. Because people didn't know it as time went on. And as the Bible was then, those manuscripts of the Gospels, those early uh, manuscripts were passed around the then known world. They didn't understand what the Pool of Bethesda was. So someone helpfully explained it. So in modern translations, it's rightfully put in the footnotes. And I love that because you can trust the manuscripts that the first versions are translated there. But it skips over. But if you read the footnote or if you have an older version of the scripture, you might see it as verse 4. The Pool of Bethesda was a place inside the city gates of Jerusalem where people came. And they believed that it had healing powers in these waters, that it would bubble up and people would be healed. In fact, the footnote will say something to this effect, that the angel of the Lord once a day would come and stir the waters, and whoever got in the water first would be healed. Now, we don't know much about the Pool of Bethesda. We don't know the success rate of the healing. We don't know a lot of that. Here's what we do know. The place where Jesus arrives on this day is a place where people in Jerusalem and the then known parts of that Israel, they went there when they needed help. They went there when they needed healing. They went there to beg. They went there to have their needs met. And Jesus arrives at this place of great need. And it says this in verse five. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. And that's a long time, isn't it? Long time to be crippled. A long time for things not to change. And I wonder if his life, his faith and optimism took kind of the graphical arc that ours does when we are in circumstances that don't seem to have changed. I'm sure when he first showed up at that pool, he was a crippled man, but he must have been filled with optimism and faith and said, okay, this is my day. This is the moment. Today's the day my life will change. And it didn't. And days went by, but I'm sure after even weeks, he's going, maybe today, not, not, not this is my day, but now maybe today, maybe today will be my day. And then weeks turn into months, and months turn into years. And before long, he, probably like us, begins to think, well, it's just too late. I mean... It really is too late. He had become a fixture at the, at the pool of Bethesda. Everyone would recognize his face. He's always there. Always there. Same thing, same circumstances. Here's how the interaction goes between him and Jesus. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him, that's really important. This is one of the unique things and qualities about an incredible leader, teacher, the Son of God. He seems to notice the people that had just become furniture. Marginalized, sidelined, other people didn't even recognize them anymore, barely looked at them, just assumed they were always there. Not Jesus. Jesus sees him and knew he had been ill for a long time. And he asked them, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, 
The man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. What an interesting account, friends. Did you catch what Jesus asked him there? Jesus asked him the simple question, would you like to get well? Seems unnecessary, doesn't it? I mean, he's a man who's crippled, laying beside waters of healing. It, it almost sounds offensive, right? Yeah, it, listen, you've been here 38 years. I know you're well, not well. Do you want to get well? And, you know, if I was probably, you know, the sarcastic type person, I'd probably be sitting there going, like, Jesus, I'm not here to get a tan. I'm here because of the healing. Of, of course I want to get well. Why would Jesus ask him that question? You know, the longer I've been pastoring, I get it. I know why Jesus asked him that question. It was an important question. It rings to us in 2019. Because there's a lot of people I've experienced in my life that want to hang around the pool. But they don't really want to be healed. A lot of people want to come to church. But to be honest, they do not want to change. There's a lot of people that will read the Bible and they'll listen to messages, but they don't want to really live their life differently. They really don't. There are a lot of people in life who like things the way they are. They like things the way they are. Even if it looks dysfunctional, even if it doesn't seem to work, even if it's not great, they don't want to give up their by-the-pool lifestyle. So Jesus asked him, maybe even us, do you want to get well? Do you want to be free? Do you want things to really change? Do you want to be transformed? Because I think there are reasons why sometimes we stop asking God for change, for healing, for help, for transformation. For this man, it could be any number of reasons. For us, it's probably likely one of these reasons. At times, we don't want to ask God to help because we're actually afraid of change. We're afraid of change. You, you think about this man. 38 years he had lived this life. It became his normal, right? It's what he knew. It was predictable. It was settling. I mean, from the outside, we might look in and say, well, it wasn't much of a life, but it was his life. You know, it was his life. Well, you know, pastor, it's not much of a marriage, but at least it's a marriage. It's not much of a future, but at least it's a future, right? And we just settle. We settle on what we know. We settle on what we experience. We just accept things the way they are. You know, it, it, it's like being the kind of husband or father that we saw growing up, and maybe it wasn't always the best, but we're just repeating it because it's what we know. For some of us, it's difficult to make a change. It's difficult to ask God to change us, to heal us, and help us because he might require us to be different. It might upset what our normal is. I was thinking about this week. I was thinking about a moment when I was in my early 20s. I was trying to remember how old, probably 24, somewhere in there, and I had knee surgery on my right knee. And it was from basketball. I tore the meniscus cartilage. Some of you know that surgery. I had the surgery, and I had crutches, and I had this big wrap and, and brace around my knee to, to let it heal. And I was married at the time. So Shelly and I are married, and I noticed something happen 
once I had that surgery. Her attention towards me went way up. Jonathan, can I get you? Hey, no, 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 you just stay there. You just stay there. I'll go get it for you. You okay? Do you need anything? I, I mean, I, I could read between the lines. I know what she was saying. She's saying, listen, I dig you. I knew, I knew that's what she meant every time she was saying that. And if you had come to me in the middle of that, because so much less was required of me at that chapter. I mean, I didn't need to, you know, I was, I was loving it. So if you would come along and say, Jonathan, do you want to get better? <laughs> eventually, yes, eventually, but this is really good because there's some benefits to lying beside the pool. Now, I don't mean to make light of anyone's circumstances, and only you can judge if this is true. Sometimes I wonder if we don't ask God to help us, to heal us, to change us. Because there's some sort of, strangely, some benefits. As people look in on our own brokenness and sympathize with us and help us and, and come alongside us. I wonder if we're, some of us are just a little afraid of change. A little afraid of change. That might not be you, but maybe the second reason is because this man could have been living in a denial of his present reality, as we will sometimes. I mean, for 38 years, he has not been able to walk. I wonder if he had lost sight of what it would look like to be whole. I wonder if he was in denial of how bad his present circumstances were, because for him, this was all normal. And you've got to understand, let's go easy on him. For 38 years, he sat around this pool with other people that are very broken and very in need of being touched. So for him, this was normal. Have you ever done that in your life? I have. I've lived a certain lifestyle. I've lived in certain measures of brokenness. And I quickly want to surround myself with peers that make it appear normal. I want to be around people that don't make me feel abnormal. So I find myself finding the type of people that allow me to live the type of life that I want to live. This man was surrounded by people that made his condition seem normal. And at times, friends, we live in states of denial about our present reality. So we don't ask God because we are not living in reality. I, I was watching YouTube, this is not too long ago, and there's a documentary on it. And uh, it's not for the faint of heart, let me tell you this. It's about a woman who had a 300-pound tumor. And it was a documentary on her having it medically removed, which did not interest me because the sight of blood does not entice me. And, but what interests me was their interview of her. They interviewed her and they asked her, why didn't you seek help earlier? Sounds like a simple question, right? And she went on to say, and it was very revealing, she just said, I thought the tumor would take care of itself. I thought just with a little bit of time, the body would heal itself and this would go away. Friends, I think you know what that's like. We live in these states of denial that maybe just with time my marriage will get fixed. We don't need to see a counselor, we just need more time. 
Or maybe with time, my children will self-correct. Somehow the arc of their life will change and be transformed. Just, it just needs a little bit more time. Maybe with time, my finances will improve. Maybe if we, we don't have to do anything drastic here, we just need more time. Sometimes we live in states of denial about our present reality, and that's why we don't ask God for change. That's why we don't invite God into our brokenness. That's why we, we fail to maybe look at our present reality as maybe not being the best version of us or what God wanted for us. See, I friend, it's interesting because you move quickly from this denial state to really the third one, which is being ashamed of our condition. They keep interviewing this woman. They said, well, when the tumor got out of control, why didn't you seek help? And she got to a point where she was just plain embarrassed of her condition. In her words, what kind of person lets themselves get in this state and not ask for help before that? Well, some of us know what that feels like. We don't want people to know about the tumor that really is growing in our home. We don't want people to know about the tumor that is really growing in our hearts. We don't want to admit how bad things have become. You ever been there? So it becomes easier just to say, well, it's just too late. It's too late. It's so much easier than admitting to a friend we need help, right? It's a lot easier to say it's too late than it is to reconcile a relationship, isn't it? It's a lot easier to say it's too late than to humble ourselves and admit we have an addiction or we have a problem with porn or, or, or that we have this gambling habit. It's, it's just easier to say it's, it's too late or, or to look into a marriage and say, well, it, it's just, it's too late. It's easier than making an appointment with the marriage counselor. So the tumor, it just, it just grows. It grows and grows and we're afraid to admit that we need help. And friends, asking God for help or asking God for healing or asking God for anything besides who's going to win the Super Bowl, it's not complicated. It has one requirement with it, and that is humility. It is to humble yourself and say, I can't do this. I can't do this. I need God. Here's the last reason. The barrier why many of us, maybe, we don't want to ask God for help in our families because things might get disruptive because some of us, we're afraid of the action that might be required of us on the other side of this. Have you ever noticed, here's in John chapter 5, John, Jesus says this to the man. He says, listen, he says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Can you say that with me? Stand up. Pick up your mat and walk. You know, what's interesting is Jesus requires three actions of him immediately. He required that he left his poolside lifestyle. Okay, that version of you, it's over. So I'm going to ask you to leave that behind, which is scary for many of us. And I'm going to ask you to get up, take up your mat, and get out of here. Get out of here. Three actions. Friends, the healing power of Jesus It's his power that saves our souls. 
is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that saves us, that heals us, that restores us. But God always requires some action of us. Some action of us. He heals this man, and he says, okay, you're healed. Now get up and get out of here. Leave this place. But did you notice earlier in the account, when Jesus says, do you want to get better? Do you notice he doesn't answer with a yes or a no? What does he say? He says, I can't. I can't. Now that could be either an excuse or that could be real. For some of us, it's an excuse. It was an interesting uh, study. Uh, Dr. Meyer and Dr. Minarin, they wrote a book on overcoming depression. And it was an interesting account as one of the parts of it, they say, they require of their patients. They said, we require our patients removing the word can't to won't. It was very interesting, subtle change. But they said every psychiatrist will tell you that the words can't or I've tried are usually subtle excuses for not changing behavior or lifestyle or whatever it might be that's damaging them. So they, they would say things like this. Uh, the guy would come in and say, well, listen, I can't get along with my wife. And they'd say, well, no, 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 no. You won't get along with your wife. I, I can't curb my spending habits. <laughs> no, 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 no. You won't curb your spending habits. And they say this subtle shift from can't to won't is the difference from being a victim that you can't, are no longer in control of any ch sort of change that could happen in your life and someone that could be empowered to be transformed and changed in your life. Now, it's an interesting thing. Now, for some of you, that's not the case. But for some of us, sometimes, have you ever been in that excuse mode? Man, I've made a lot of excuses over the years for me. I love I can't or I've tried. Why? Well, because I'm no longer responsible. Don't you love those moments? I'm talking clearly to myself. Because everybody here, you're in the no, I won't category. Good for you. Okay, I've never been that good. But here's the interesting thing, though, but this man, we can see clearly. When he says, I can't, he can't. He can't get to the water by himself. He can't get healed by himself. And herein lies one of the most significant spiritual truths in the gospel. The gospel is precisely the good news of what Jesus has done for all of humanity. The gospel is precisely activated in your life when you come to a place where you say, I can't. I can't save myself. I can't fix my marriage. I can't make my kids love me. I can't be healed myself. I can't forgive myself. I need a savior. I need God. I need your help. I need your healing. It's precisely at that point that we begin to experience the powerful power of the gospel in our lives. The truth is, a lot of us have trouble and have a hard time admitting that we can't. I'd invite those who are serving communion just to go and prepare yourselves because in a moment we'll be taking communion together so you can slip out now. You know, it was interesting. There was an article I read in Psycholo it was a psychology magazine. It was a 30-year study. This is going to shock some of you in this room. 30 years they studied men and women. And what they discovered after the ends of 30 years of study is men are less likely than women to ask for help. It's shocking, isn't it? Just shocking. 
I mean, I had to pull myself off the floor. I just like, what? Are you kidding? I mean, we know that, right? You know, the old adage, men won't ask for directions. Men won't admit that they need help or whatever it is. But this was in the context of medical care, health care. And apparently, men are less likely to visit a healthcare professional. And when they do, they're less likely to ask questions. So they're there, and if the doctor can discover what's wrong on their own, that's great, because they're not answering questions, and they certainly are not going to ask questions. It has to be pretty bad for the guy to be there. And they say this is one of the contributing factors to why men die seven years before women. On average, seven years sooner. Now look around, see if you see a man next to you. <laughs> you could just say to them, like, buddy, ask questions. Ask questions. You know what's interesting? Although studying is far from shocking for any of us here, I think so many times we have that mindset that I can fix my own problems. And we have trouble admitting I have trouble admitting that I can't get to the pool. I can't drag myself to the pool. That I need help. That I need help. And Jesus encounters this man, and Jesus knows this man is sick, and this man acknowledges his need for help, and of course, we know the story. Jesus heals him. But did you notice even in the story, Jesus is talking to him, and the man is still focused on the pool. He said, I, 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 Jesus, I just can't get to the pool. And Jesus is like, I don't need no pool. And an incredible thing happens. This man is healed 38 years 14,000 days stuck in the same circumstances. And then one day, Jesus, and everything changes. I mean, John chapter 5, this man teaches us it's not too late. I think of the disciples with Jesus when they're fishing and they fished all day and night and they caught nothing and, and Jesus comes along and says, well, throw your nets on the other side and you can read the gospel account because you can almost hear it in their tone. They're a little like, are you kidding me? And they throw it on the other side and lo and behold, a great catch of fish. Those disciples learned that day that with Jesus, it's not too late. The thief on the cross with his dying breath being crucified next to Jesus, the thief on the cross says, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus turns to this man and says, tonight you'll be with me in paradise. This thief, this criminal, this man who deserved what he was getting, and Jesus says, oh, that thief learned that day with Jesus, it's not too late. What if it wasn't too late for you to change? What if it wasn't too late for your marriage to be healed? What if it wasn't too late for you to be physically healed? What if it wasn't too late for you to be helped in any area of your life if you would simply ask God for help? I'll end with the story. There's a, a preaching professor, a homiletics professor, who tells a story about when he went to a funeral. He and his wife were invited to attend a funeral for a man named Joe in rural Georgia. 
And they drove to this little, uh, little village and they went into the small church and there was a pastor that was presiding over the funeral that day and Joe's casket was right there and it was opened. And he says, he, as he gives the account, he says it was a funeral unlike any he'd ever attended. The pastor began with this message by saying this, it's too late for Joe, but it's not too late for you. He said it was so insensitive to everyone who was mourning there. This guy just seemed to hold nothing back. In fact, he went on to say things like this. It's too late for Joe to spend time with his family. It's not too late for you, though. It's too late for Joe to change his life, but it's not too late for you. And Professor Willemont said he was getting angrier and angrier the longer this guy spoke. And then, it, you know, if it, as if it couldn't get worse. Finally, he, said, he ends it. He says, listen, it's not too late for, it's too late for Joe. It's not too late for you, but it will be someday. <laughs> and he tells a story of somebody who left a funeral, got in a car accident on their way home, and died. That's how he ended it. And so Professor Willemont gets in the car, and they're driving back with his wife, and he's, he's just venting. He's so furious. I don't teach any of my students to speak like this. It was so insensitive to the, those that were mourning that day. It was manipulative. He was manipulating them. It was aggressive. It was disgusting. He was angry. And his wife said, finally, she said, I've never heard a funeral message like that. I mean, it was disgusting in the way that it was manipulative. It was insensitive, but it was true. See, I can't say, in all fairness, it's never too late. Because the Bible says there's a moment where it is too late. I don't say that to be manipulative or insensitive in any way. I say that to say, as long as our lungs are filled with breath, as long as we're willing to take a step in humility and ask God for help, it's not too late. In a moment, we're going to receive communion. And after that, we are going to make this place a place where you can ask God for help. You can ask God for healing. You can ask God for change. You can ask God for transformation. Because friends, today, it's not too late late. Father, thank you for your word. It challenges me. It encourages me. It fills me with faith. And God, it has a way of pointing right into my soul. Unlike other humans can in my life, you, you know me. You know the games that I play, the little things of my own thought life and world that I try to normalize things that aren't healthy, God. You, you know the way, God, that, that I love to even live on that poolside lifestyle, even if it's broken, at least it's my own brokenness. If it's dysfunctional, at least it's my dysfunction. And I begin to deny reality of what I could be free in Jesus, what it would be like to live a life free and have peace with God. What it would look like, God, to have my conscience so clean, no residue, that I'm able to live in a way that I'm confident and strong, content and at peace 
because of what Jesus has done for me. God, I pray for your people as we just prepare our hearts for communion and we hold these emblems in our hands. God, Holy Spirit, would you put your finger on places of our life where maybe we've just stopped asking? Or maybe, God, we've never asked, but we should have. Help us to come to that place because I believe you're here today and you are able to help us. Amen. Amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.